Good morning, Orchardville Church. Today, before I get started this morning, uh, I just, I got to share with you that uh, in 16 years of ministry, uh, I would have to say that last Sunday was one of the most amazing, wonderful days of ministry in all of those years of ministry experience. It truly was. I cannot thank Orchardville Church enough for the love that you have shown the gracious welcome you have shown, the support that you have shown. It has been so overwhelming, and we are ready to be home here. God has been so good already. Uh, I want to share with you that uh, we went out uh, house hunting with Brittany earlier this week, uh, Monday and Tuesday, and uh, we... The only thing that you need to know about that is we told Brittany, whatever you, whatever happened while we were out shopping, it stays between us. You don't need to tell anybody else. You're a preacher and the preacher's wife are a little crazy. Uh, but we had a great time with her and we have already had an offer received. We found a home. We're ready to get here. Amen. <laughs> wow. Man, God is so good. Now, we just need about 500 people praying that our house in Peoria sells as soon as it can. But one way or another, we're getting here in a hurry. Amen. So last Sunday was absolutely amazing. uh, But honestly, I, I am just as excited about today. In spite of how awesome last Sunday was, and it was awesome for us, I'm just as excited about today uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's Mother's Day. I love Mother's Day because if you're a woman here this morning, you either have children or you have a mom. One way or the other, this is a day that we celebrate and we thank God for all of the women in our church. Because listen, when God made Adam, that was the only part of all creation, right, that he looked at and he said, we didn't quite finish this. He said, it's not good for man to be alone And so he reached down and he made a woman to complete him. And then God's creation was good, all good. And on behalf of all the men in the church, and men, you need to take advantage of this moment right here. You need to stand up and you need to give some honor and appreciation to all the women because we would not be who we are. We would not be where we are without you. So men, let's give some love. We love you ladies. We are so thankful for the role that you play in our life. It means so very much. And the second reason I'm excited about today is that this is this is my first official Sunday as the pastor of Orchardville Church. <laughs> And this is, this is such a work of God for us. Um, one, of the, one of the things that Leslie loves more than anything is she loves being a mom. And, and you ladies who have children, you know what that feels like. She loves being a mom. Uh, we had both of our sons and uh, their wives down here with us last Sunday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not unusual for children to grow up and move away from mom and dad. You sort of expect that. But it is a little weird for mom and dad to move away from the kids. Uh, we tried that a couple times when they were younger, but they found us. And uh, <laughs> so we just sort of figured we're stuck with them. Uh, but Leslie loved that. And so to move down here away from our children and to be completely at peace with that is truly a work of God. And uh, so you're home now, you're our family, and uh, we can't wait for the years ahead. And I'll just say this. We look forward to a lot of good years of ministering and serving God together here. So we're ready to let God be God, let the church be the church, and let the world stand up and take notice. Amen? So, all right, so I'm going to ask you this morning, grab your Bibles and open to the book of Esther, 
chapter 4. Now, I want to go ahead and, and communicate to you that I am going to encourage you every week to bring your copy of the Word of God. Now, listen, if you, have a, if you use a digital copy, that's fine. But this is the greatest tool that we have at our disposal as followers of Jesus Christ. But a tool that we don't know how to use is of no value. And so I want to make sure that when we gather together as a body of believers that we get very comfortable diving into the Word of God together. I also want to make sure that you know I never want to mislead you in the Scripture. It is very, very easy for any man of God to take a verse of Scripture and make it say anything he wants it to say. That's not rightly dividing the word of truth. And so I want to challenge you to always be in the word of God, follow along with me, because you need to make sure that what you're hearing from me is what God says in his word and not what I want it to say. Amen. Amen. So bring your copy of the Word of God, whether it's a hard copy or a digital copy. Either one is good. We just want to make sure that we know how to use this tool. All right. So let me open with a word of prayer. We're going to kind of dive into the Word of God together. Father, we thank you for this day. It is a beautiful day. We have had incredible worship already. God, we stand ready to receive your reign. God, bring it. Just bring it. And help every ear today to hear, help every eye to be opened, help every heart to receive exactly what your Holy Spirit intends for each and every one of us. And Lord, by your grace, let every life be changed in some measure this morning because we've encountered a holy, good God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so before we read the passage of Scripture together in Esther 4, let me, let me set a little bit of the background story because you need to understand what we're going to read and what it's saying to you. So let me give you a little background of information about Esther. Esther takes place about 100 years after Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Jerusalem and taken all the Jews captive back to Persia. And in the hundred years that passed between Nebuchadnezzar uh, taking all of all of the Jewish people captive and the story of Esther, in those hundred years, there were two migrations that took place where Persian kings told the Jewish people, you can go home. Now, here's what's really interesting. You would think that God's people who are dragged out of their homeland and put in a place where they are not able to worship as freely and serve God as openly as they did in their homeland, you would think they would be chomping at the bits to get back to their home. Shockingly, most Jewish people did not leave Persia. In those two migrations that traveled back to Jerusalem, it was actually a small number of the Jews that were taken into captivity. And you think, why in the world would God's people not go back to their home where they can worship God freely and engage with him freely? And I would suggest to you this morning that God's people had gotten comfortable living in a culture that was in conflict with their faith. Now, if that feels a little familiar to you this morning, it should, because I would suggest to you this morning that far too many of God's people in America today have gotten very comfortable in a culture that is increasingly in conflict with our faith. Apparently, Esther's parents were two of the people that did not go back to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that her parents had died. We don't know why, but they, were, they had died. And her uncle Mordecai raised her as if she was his only daughter. Somewhere during the course of this story, King Ahasuerus had had a falling out with his wife. Now, we, us guys, we have no idea what that's about. 
but it didn't go well, and he decided he was going to replace her and find a new queen. Well, word went out through all of the kingdom of Persia, bring, bring in the young ladies and let's find the king a new queen. Out of all of the ladies, out of all of the young women in the kingdom of Persia, Esther wound up being one of those young ladies. Now, we don't know exactly how old she was, but a lot of scholars think that she was probably as young as 14 or 15 years old when this process began. Now, when they would bring these young women into the harem for the king to decide who's going to be his queen, who's going to be his wife, it was a long process that began to, to take place. And when I say long, I mean long. They went through like a year of beauty treatment. How many of you women want to sign up for that one? Like, wow, that doesn't sound too bad. And, and depending on where, you know, where they were in the, in the pecking order, so, so to speak, it could be a couple of years before they actually wound up before the king. Now, Mordecai, because he treated Esther like this is his own daughter, Mordecai went to the king's courts every day because he kind of wanted to stay as close as he could to Esther to make sure that things were going all right. And because he was in the king's courts, he came into contact with the officials of the king on a regular basis. Well, there was one guy in particular who was incredibly prideful and arrogant, and his name was Haman. And we probably all know a Haman. Haman was one of these guys where, you know, everything he does is better than everybody else. His stuff don't stink. You know those people, right? Haman was one of those guys. And he had this thing where everybody would bow down to him when he went by. And he loved that. Everybody except for one guy. And it was Mordecai. And he couldn't stand it. It drove him crazy. And he decided he was going to get some revenge. Now, it wouldn't surprise you to know that Haman wanted to take Mordecai out. But this guy was such a bad dude that he decided he didn't want to just take Mordecai out. He wanted to destroy all of the Jews in the entire kingdom of Persia. All of them. And so he made a secret plan. He agreed with the king, and the king didn't really know what he was agreeing to, but the king liked Haman, and Haman was a good officer. And so a plan was made on a certain day at a certain time that they would release soldiers and deputies of the kingdom to literally slaughter all of God's people on one day. And that is where we pick up the story of Esther chapter 4. So let's begin reading in verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, and by the way, I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you've got a digital copy and you want to be reading the same thing, you can just hit NKJV. Uh, this will be what I preach from mostly, but I will change it up from time to time. But this morning I'm in the NKJV. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes he put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that's not a good look for me. I look good in a lot of things. Sackcloth and ash ain't one of them. But he didn't care. He put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out in the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In other words, when you're in this, in this status, in this state of presentation, you can get all the way up to the gate of the king, but you can't go into the courtyards because we ain't, we ain't going to do that inside here. So you can stay out there, but you can't bring that in here. And in every province, verse 3, where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among all the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. There's no surprise that this is going on. They had all just learned all across the kingdom that they were scheduled 
for a slaughter. Not the kind of news you want to get. This was not good. And they had nothing that they could do about it. They had no standing. They had no army. They had no way to put an end to this plan. They were going to die. So verse 4. Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her and the queen was deeply distressed. So she heard, wow, your uncle uh, Mordecai, he is out in front of the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes. It's a bad look, Esther. And Esther is probably mortified right now. Like, oh my gosh, I can't have somebody I know out there in front of the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes. And so... Lost my page there. And so she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him. Like, Mordecai, would you just change clothes? And Mordecai refused. He wouldn't accept them. And so then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Athak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him. The sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. And he also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan. That's the capital. That he might show it to Esther and explain it to her. That he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. And so Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. So we'll stop right there. All right, so let's just sort of go back through what we've just read and kind of understand what we're looking at. First of all, don't forget, what we have here is we have God's people living comfortably in a culture that is at odds with their faith. And Esther has an uncle who is out in the streets in front of the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes, and her first reaction is to save face and not be embarrassed. Now, before you get mad at Esther, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands but I bet if we're being honest, most of us in here this morning have been with another Christ follower at some point in time in some situation and they started talking about God and they started boldly sharing something about their faith in an environment or a situation that we weren't comfortable with and the first thing we wanted to do was crawl under the table and disappear. Or to say, I'm sorry, she didn't take her meds this morning. <laughs> right? Or he's not always like this. He really isn't. Most of us have probably been in a situation where a follower of God was not being afraid to identify as a follower of God, but we were ready to be identified at that moment in time. And so we try to hide because we don't want to be embarrassed. Because we're comfortable, right? We're comfortable. We're comfortable in a culture that's in conflict with our faith. I don't, I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to be embarrassed. And the truth is that a lot of us have probably at some point in time reached out to a brother or sister in Christ and asked them and pleaded with them to not be so Christian. We don't want people to think we're weirdos. You ever felt like that? We don't want people to think that we take our faith a little too seriously. We don't want to be a fanatic for God. And you know what's crazy? We'll be a fanatic for everything else. Won't we? We'll go to a ball game and we will scream our heads off for people like the Cardinals, which I just, you know, I mean, some of you, that's all right. <laughs> brother Rick, I got you, brother. But... 
We'll go to high school games. You know, we'll, we'll go to all kinds of functions and we will cheer. We will scream and we don't care what we look like. We don't care what people think of us because, man, we're all in for this thing. But when it comes to the things of God, well, we don't want people to think we're that kind of Christian. Am I telling the truth or not? By the way, I, I like a congregation that talks back to me. At least I know you're not sleeping. So that's good. It happens far too often, and I suggest to you this morning, it's because we have decided that we want comfort more than we want commitment to the things of Christ. And when those two things are in conflict, we lean toward the comfort side of this equation because we don't want to mess up what we got. And so Esther sends out and says, hey, Mordecai, would you knock it off? and just change clothes so nobody, nobody knows what you're doing. And Mordecai says, no, I am not going to change clothes. I am not going to change what I'm saying. I'm not going to change what I'm doing. And it was only because of Mordecai's commitment to his faith and to what was going on that she decided to find out, well, what is going on? Do you know that she didn't know what was going on? Now, I want you to just stop and think about that for a second. She's trying to get Mordecai to stop what he's doing, and she doesn't even know why, she's do, why he's doing it. And far too often, when believers that we're around start displaying their faith or something is going on, we're just trying to tamp it all down, and we don't even know why what's going on is going on. We just want to keep the status quo. We don't want to make any ripples. But because he wouldn't relent, finally, she decides to go out and find out what is really going on. We, we want to keep things normal without really wanting to know. And you know why? Because it's easier, it's easier to not know, isn't it? It's easier to not know what's going on in somebody's world. It's easier to not know why somebody is acting the way that they're acting. You know why? Because it takes emotional energy. It takes time. It takes effort. It, it takes all sorts of energy that most of the time we just rather not spend. We'd rather save it for ourselves. And so it's easier not to know. There's an old saying that ignorance is bliss. I want to tell you this morning, ignorance is not bliss. It's just ignorance. God did not call us to be in a world and bury our heads in the sand and act like it doesn't matter what else is going on. It does matter what's going on, and he calls us to know. Jesus said, you are in the world, but not of the world. Now, some of you hear that, you go, what in the world does that mean? I, Jesus is talking gobbledygook there. I don't even get that. What do you mean? I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you, when you come to Jesus Christ and you make him your Lord and Savior, you get adopted into the family of Christ, which means you get adopted into the kingdom of God, which means you are no longer of this world, you're of the kingdom of God. So you're not of this world anymore, but you're in this world. And that means something. Because see, in John chapter 3, verse 17, after, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, we almost always stop at that verse. But right after that verse, John says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He sent his son into the world. Jesus was not of this world, but he was in this world. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a true saying, that Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. He sent his son into the world. Jesus was not of the world, but he was in the world. Why was he in the world? To save sinners. Do you know that if the only thing that mattered to God was you getting saved? You wouldn't even be here right now. You know why? You'd be in heaven. You know why you're here? 
is so you can do exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came into the world, in the world, to save sinners. You are still here. You are still breathing. You are still alive because you have a mission and a purpose to shine your light into the dark places that only you can reach. Do you know there are places that nobody will ever influence other than you? And if you don't go shine the light of Jesus in that place, it will never get shined. That's why God still leaves every one of us here after we say yes to Jesus. Why? Because now we pick up the mission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was not of the world, but he came into the world to show people how to know Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. That is our mission. So Mordecai responds to her and it's like, well, obviously you're, you're not tracking right now. So Esther, let me, let me explain something to you. How many of you have ever, ever seen the sign, you are here? You, are, you look at the map and it says you are here, right? You familiar with that? Well, see, here's the deal. You can't get where you're going until you know where you are. You have to know where you are in order to get where you're going. And Mordecai says to Esther, listen, Esther, you need to understand something. This is going down. It's going to happen. And God has put you in the king's court. You are his queen. Church, I want you to understand something. Wherever you are, and anytime you see another you are here sign, wherever you are, I want you to understand something. Wherever you are at any given moment in time, wherever you travel, wherever you get up and go to work, wherever you are at school, wherever you are engaged with people in your community, wherever you are, you are where you are because either God allowed you to be there or he placed you there for his purpose at a specific time at a specific place. When you see you are here, it is a reminder that God has allowed you to be somewhere or placed you somewhere so that you will be his ambassador in that place at any given moment in time. Now, what does that mean? Every country, every kingdom sends out representatives from that kingdom or that country to represent them in another foreign land so that when that foreign land is doing things that they can say, hey, don't forget about us. They want to represent their country, their kingdom in a foreign place so that their kingdom is served as best as it can be. And God has made every one of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ, he's made every one of us ambassadors to represent him everywhere we go because we're not of this world. We are of the kingdom of God. That is our first and greatest loyalty and priority. And so whenever we go somewhere, you know who we're supposed to be representing first and foremost? Who are we supposed to be representing? Exactly. We are his representatives wherever we are to point people to the beauty, the mission, the power of the kingdom of God. And so, you know, he's telling her, Esther, plead, plead for your people. Plead for your people. God is telling us, plead for the kingdom of God. Shine the light of Jesus wherever you go. Tell them the beauty and the, and the awesomeness of what God has to offer. Plead for your people. And so Esther, after she hears that, in verse 10, we pick up the story again. And Esther spoke to Hathak, and she gave him a command for Mordecai. She said this, All the king's servants... And the people of the king's provinces, they know, they know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put them all to death. 
except the one to whom all the kings, or, or except to one whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. But Esther said, but I myself, I have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So she responds back to Mordecai. Mordecai saying, go plead for your people. Be an ambassador. And she says, it's too risky. It's too risky. Because if I go without being called, I can literally lose my life. Now, I would have to say that's a real risk. I think that's a pretty genuine concern. If I go and he hasn't called me, I could lose my life. I probably will lose my life. And he hasn't called me in 30 days. Now, we can understand Esther's reluctance. That was a real risk. And sometimes we face real risk. But I would suggest to you this morning that most of us, we imagine more risk than are actually there. I, when I was reading this, I, I was reminded of a passage of scripture I've always loved in Proverbs twenty-two, thirteen. It says, the lazy person claims, there's a lion outside. If I go out there, I might be killed. How lazy do you have to be to come up with that excuse? There's a lion out there. If I go out, I just might be killed. Well, some of you might have been raised by a mom like me. If I had tried that excuse, my mom would have probably said, well, let me tell you something, son. If you don't get up off your lazy behind and go cut the grass, you might be killed inside. It's <laughs> a little motivation there. <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> if you had a mom that did that, just go ahead and say amen. amen. All right. <laughs> Mom, if you're listening to this, I love you. <laughs> Listen, there are some risks that are real. And some risks are significant. Some risks are mostly insignificant. But I would say that most risks don't even exist at all. But whether it's a big risk, a small risk, or no risk at all, we need to constantly be reminding ourselves that the number one command in all of Scripture is what? Who knows what it is? The most commonly used command in all of Scripture is fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If God is God, then God is able to take you through anything that you encounter. Amen? Amen. Fear not. It might be a truly a real risk, but God says, fear not, I am with you. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Amen. You can't decide to serve comfort and safety and serve God at the same time. They don't work together. Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to pick a side. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. So be courageous, church. Be courageous. Fear not. Whether it's a real risk or an imagined risk, there is a command of fear not for every day of the year. Literally. Don't forget that. So she's, she responds back to Mordecai, whoa, Mordecai, you don't know what you're asking me. I could literally lose my life. And you know what, Mordecai, you know that. You know that, Mordecai, because everybody knows that. Why are you asking me this? So here's Mordecai's response in, uh, in verse 13. Mordecai told them to answer Esther. He said, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. He said, I don't care where you are, Esther. Don't you dare think that just because you're in the palace, you're going to get out of this. You're not. 
And he said, so don't, don't you dare think that you're going to get out of this any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Mordecai responds back to Esther, whom he loves. And he reminds her that Esther, no matter what you do, you are going to be affected by this, whether you want to believe it or not. Now I heard Carlin share earlier this morning that Satan is a liar. And he absolutely is a liar. The Bible tells us he's a liar and he's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. But here's what happens. When we're, when we're at a place where we got to take a risk or a, even a perceived risk, here's what Satan does. He walks up to us and he whispers in our ear and he says, you know what? I wouldn't take the chance if I was you. You've worked too hard to be where you are. You've got a status to protect. You don't want to give up where you are. You don't want to give up who you are. And this isn't just about where you are in the business world. This is true in the student world too. Because when you get in with the in crowd, when you become popular, you got enough followers on Facebook, well, why in the world would you risk saying something that might cost you followers on Facebook? Why in the world would you risk something that might take you out of the in-group? If you're in the business world, why in the world would you take a stand that might cost you customers? And Satan says, hey, protect what you got. Don't worry about everybody else. You know what? If you protect what you got, you'll probably have a bigger platform later that you can use your influence to talk about the Lord. But you know what? If you sell out one time now, you'll keep selling out until it's not even a sellout anymore. But he is so good at convincing us, don't take the risk. It's not worth it. And so when your faith comes in conflict with your culture, he wants to make sure that you sense in your spirit, I got to protect what I got because nobody else is going to give it to me. And if I risk it, I may never get it back. He says, you're just being strategic when you do that. Can I tell you, that's not being strategic. That's being scared. We justify a lot of things by saying, well, there's a better plan. No, we're just chicken a lot of times. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. We're just chicken. We're afraid to stand up and be counted for the cause of Christ. We're afraid to let people know who we are and why we believe what we believe. We're afraid to raise the banner of the Lord over our, our, our head and say, to God be the glory, great things he has done. And Satan says, don't take the chance. And Mordecai is telling Esther, don't you dare think that you can get out of this. You're going to be affected by this no matter what you do. So you might as well stand for God. See, if we, if we choose to live in fear, we'll inspire fear. If we choose to live in courage, we'll inspire courage. But whatever we choose, it's going to ripple down to the people that live in our home, the people that we're surrounded by, because you know why? They're watching us. Mom and dad, you say that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's your Lord and Savior, but when something comes up and it's a question between your faith or the culture and the culture wins, you're telling them God isn't as important as the world. And if you live in fear of taking the bold stance on the cause of Christ, you're telling your kids, always protect what you got. But if you will step out in faith and be a courageous follower of Christ, you will inspire your sons and your daughters to do the same. We need to be raising generations of courageous young men and young women. You know why? Because they've seen the adults be courageous 
in their faith. And he tells Esther, listen, you're not going to get out of this. It's going to affect you one way or the other. So you might as well take a stand and listen, Esther, maybe God put you right where you are for such a time as this. I know so many people wish things were different than they are. And that's okay. We can wish things were different. But when we live in a wish world instead of a real world, it's a very dangerous thing. We can't represent God in the world that we wished we live in. We can only represent God in the world we do live in. And he's trying to say, Esther, God has put you where you are for such a time as this. Church, I believe that hard times are coming in regard to our faith and our culture. It's getting hard. We have been blessed to have been born and raised in a country that has given honor to the word of God and the things of God, but those days are changing. And we can wish it wasn't so, but it is so, and we got to live in the here and now. Why? Because remember, you are here. We are here, right here, right now for a reason. God placed us at this place in time to be his representatives in a time where it's getting hard. Now, I will tell you, that's not easy, but consider it an honor because God thought enough of you to say, you can do it. God thought enough of you to say, I will let you be born in this place in time, in a place where the culture is changing against your faith, but I believe I can count on you to represent me in a hard place. And sometimes trying to stand up can be a dangerous thing because it might bring retribution and that's exactly what Esther was facing. She was facing the possibility of actually losing her very life and Mordecai was telling her and I'm telling you today that God has placed us right here right now just like Esther for such a time as this. And here's what I love about Esther's response. In verse 15, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan Fast for me, don't, uh, eat, don't eat anything, don't drink anything for three days or nights. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Church, what we need today are not more bells and whistles in our church. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what's going to represent God in the world. We don't need more stuff. We don't always need more knowledge. You know what we need? We need brothers and sisters, men and women, teenagers with a strong backbone that says, I will stand for God no matter what. And you know what Jesus said? Do you remember when he said, whoever loses his life for my sake, what? Finds it. I will tell you something this morning. And I have, I have discovered this to be true. The most alive you will ever be is when you are standing on the leading edge, fighting the fight of faith, representing the cause of Christ in a world. You will never be more alive than that. Because God wakens something up in your spirit that nothing else can satisfy the way that will. When you know that you are hearing from God, you are representing him, and come what may, come hell or high water, I will stand. And I believe God is calling this church to be full of those very people this morning. To represent him in southern Illinois that says no matter what, no matter what the cost, no matter what the risk, I will stand. If I perish, I perish, but I'm going out with Jesus. 
And because this is Mother's Day, men, this is for you too. But because this is Mother's Day, I want to speak to the, to the ladies especially. Our country is desperately in need of women who will love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and say, I don't care what the rest of the world says that I'm supposed to like. I don't care what the rest of the world says I should look like. I don't care what the rest of the world says I should want or care about. I don't care what the rest of the world wants to try to tell me I ought to be. I know what God says about me. I know what God says I ought to be. And that's where I will plant my flag and I will make no compromise, period. Ladies, you can change the world if you will live like that for Jesus. I mean it. You can change the world if you will live like that for Jesus. And I want to suggest to you this morning, and I'm speaking to all of our women, whether you have children of your own or not, whether you are an empty nester or you're raising children in your home right now or you are neither, all of, all of these teenagers, all of those kids in children's church, they are your sons and daughters. You understand that? Those are your sons and daughters in those classrooms on the other side of the building. These are your sons and daughters in the teenage group sitting right here. They belong to you. Whether they live in your house or not, they are yours. Because Jesus was teaching some people one time and his brothers and sisters showed up with his mom and they said, hey, Jesus, stop what you're doing. Mom is here. Well, on Mother's Day... Wouldn't you think that Jesus should just stop whatever he's doing and say, Mom! Let me tell you what Jesus did. He said, look around, guys. He said, who's my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? The people who do the will of my father. He says, when you come into the kingdom of God, you have a brand new family. This is your family. And one of the greatest things that you can do is to raise up a generation of young people, teenagers, children that see the adults truly standing for God. Not worrying about what the cost might be, but really living it out. Not only in church, but in the home. But sometimes this is the only place some of them will get to see you. Let them see you living out the word of God in your life. And you know what that means? Because these are also your brothers and sisters. Some of you this morning, you need to step up to. One of the things that you're most scared about is trying to serve the Lord in children's ministry. Or teenage ministry. Can you ever have too many help? Too much help? Is Erica in here or is she back in children's ministry? She's back in children's ministry. If I ask Erica this morning if she can ever have too much help, what do you think her answer would be? Not a chance. What do you think the children's workers who go back there and serve the children of the church, what do you think their answer would be if you said, can there be too much help? No, not a chance. I'm going to encourage some of you this morning to take a risk that you have been scared to take, and that is to step out of your comfort zone in the church. I mean, if you can't step out of your comfort zone in the church, you ain't never going to make it fly out there. This is the training ground. Work it out here, then live it out there. Some of you this morning need to say, I'm going to be a mom. I am going to be a mom to the children of my church because they're my children. And I want to raise sons and daughters who will love the Lord in spite of what the culture says and be fearless in their faith. And that's going to have to start with you because you're scared to death to walk into the children's ministry. And some of you go, well, I don't have a gift for that. You don't know that. Do you know that the Spirit gives gifts as He wills? See, a lot of us confuse spiritual gifts with talents and skills. But the Spirit gives gifts to the church to, feed, to, to serve the needs of the church, right? You understand that, right? Yes. 
So you know what happens a lot of times? People go, well, I don't have a skill or, or a talent for that. Well, you might not. But God, through the Holy Spirit, might be saying, I got a gift for you you don't even know you got. And you'll never know it until you get back there and try. Now, I want to tell you something. No church, and this church neither, expects you to serve in, a, in an area where you are not gifted and you are not able to, to accomplish the mission in that space. But you will never know until you try. Amen? Amen. I know we need help. I know we need people to help in our children's ministry. And our children need to see that they matter to the adults of this church. We want to raise godly kids. We got a stake in that. We got a stake in that. And we got to let them see that it matters. I'm going to ask our, our worship team to come back up. See, church, it has to start with us. It has to start with us. We want, we want our kids, we want our teenagers, we want our homes to reflect the Lord in a powerful way. But you know where they're going to learn that? Through us, because the world's not going to teach them to love the Lord. The world's not going to teach them to sacrifice the things of the world for the things of God. You know who has to teach them that? We do. And it's not just in our words, it's in our actions. And so I'm going to ask some of you and challenge some of you this morning who are followers of Christ to step up to the plate, take a risk. Take a risk in the church. Get in touch with George. Get in touch with Rick. Get, get in touch with Erica. Get in touch with Justine in the church office and say, you know what, I don't, I don't really know if I've got this in me, but I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to take a risk for the cause of Christ because if I can't do it here, I will never do it out in the world. And if I can't demonstrate to the children, how in the world can I expect them to grow up and be what I'm not willing to be myself? What an honor. What a privilege that God gives us to speak into each other's life and to raise up a powerful generation of fearless Christ followers. Some of you need to come this morning and you need to pray and say, I, I, need just, I just need to make a commitment to the things of my faith and think less of my comfort and more of my Lord. And there are others of you this morning that you haven't even started this journey. You're still on the early side of John 3, 16 and 17. You've heard the story of Jesus. You might even believe it, but you haven't acted on it yet. This is your morning. Be born into the kingdom of God today. Everything changes.